Sometimes when life seems gentle and blessings flood my way, I turn my gaze away from you and soon forget to pray. But when the sky grows darker and courage turns to fear, my anxious voice cries upward with words you long to hear. Lord, I need you when the Could we all say those words? Let's just say the phrase, Lord, I need you. Let the songwriters say, I need thee every hour. Every hour, every half hour, every minute, we need the Lord. Thank you very much. Boys and girls ages four years old through fourth grade dismissed the children's church. There goes the future of the church, folks. Not tomorrow now. It'll take a while. And when you look at some of them, it'll take quite a while. No, okay. Okay. It's the future. I thank the Lord for our families. Thank the Lord for these boys and girls. Hey, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. I can't tell you how fired up I am to preach. I don't like not preaching. 
As much as I enjoyed being away, I'll tell you, last Sunday morning, last Sunday night, uh, that was, that's tough for me, okay? Didn't have a service last Sunday night. That made it a little easier, okay? But last Sunday morning, it's just, I just, I just like to preach the Bible. And so today I have, I woke up this morning, I thought, you know what? I feel badly when Brother Tillman's not here. I really do. He's, he's an excellent Sunday school teacher. I look forward to his class every week. Like I think, you know, I'm, I'm teaching Sunday school class today, filling in for Brian. I get to teach Sunday school class. In fact, I told Brother David Kane when he came in. I said, David, I get to teach Sunday school today. I get to preach this morning. I get to preach tonight. My wife gets to sing. We get to sing in the choir. Doesn't get much better than this. You know, praise the Lord. I hope, you, I hope you're here today in Chase. You know, it doesn't get much better than this. I get to come and sing and hear the Bible preached. And I hope that I can share with you something today that will be a help to you. We have finished in our study of now Ephesians, we have finished the first four chapters. We now come to chapter 5. The last half of chapter 4, beginning at verse 17, was all about the, the fact that the message was that Christians, we as Christians should not live like unsaved people. Why? Because they do what they do and think like they think and live like they live because of who they are. They're, they're foreigners spiritually. They don't have the spirit. They're void of the spirit. They don't have spiritual truth. They're living in darkness, spiritual ignorance. And you put all that together, what do you expect? And Jesus says, God says to us now, you know, that's the way you used to be, but that's not you anymore. You've been born again. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You're not the old person you used to be. Now you're in my family. I'm your heavenly father. And life should be quite different for you. And in the rest of the chapter, beginning at verse 25, he says, you know, you should live different than unsaved, differently than unsaved people. And one way you can do that is I'm going to give you some commands, some commands for you to obey. As you obey these commands, it will be manifest to all that you're different than you used to be. That you have different desires and goals and plans. You think differently. You, you talk differently. You act differently. Perhaps your entertainment. It ought to be your entertainment's different. Maybe, maybe what you wear is different. I don't know, but God says, listen, here are some things you need to do as a believer now that you've been saved. And that's verse 25 all the way through the end of the chapter. Our last message was the last two verses of chapter 4. Where God gives us in two verses, he gives us five negative commands and then two positive commands, or three positive commands in two verses. Look at it, verse 20, 31 of chapter 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Get these things up and out of your life. Get them out of your life. And then he says in verse 32, those, now those are some negative things. Now he said, now here's three things you ought to be. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And look at the next verse. Be ye therefore followers of God, as dear children. And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. You know, our Bible says chapter 5. <laughs> there was the original letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus did not say chapter 5. And that's why most Bible teachers believe that the beginning of chapter 5 is really going right along with what's just been said in chapter 4. They don't all agree on how far back you have to go. Some say it has to do with the whole first four chapters of Ephesus. Some say just especially chapter 4. Many say the last half of chapter 4. And probably most say especially the last two verses. And then they narrow it down and say, really more like the last verse. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. Oh, listen, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. 
Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love. I mean, it all fits together. How are we ever going to forgive people who wrong us by keeping our eyes upon our Heavenly Father and realizing that He loved us and forgave us? We ought to be able to forgive anybody who's ever wronged us for anything. And so God says, be followers of God. Walk in love. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, in fact, really all of 5, we have the, the theme is really the walk of the believer, the walk of the Christian. You know by walk, we mean your conversation, your lifestyle, or your behavior, your manner of life, your conduct. That's the walk. So he says in verse 2, walk in love. Later on in the chapter, he says in verse 8, walk as children of light. So what you have in verses 1 through 9, we're back to this theme of walking. It's already been mentioned twice in the book of Ephesians. In, verse, in chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, you remember, we have the position and our privileges in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6, the last half of the book, is our responsibilities in light of our position and privileges. And it's all about our Christian walk. It's, it's about the Christian lifestyle. And in chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, basically God says we need to walk in love, verses 1 and 2. And verses 3 through 9, he says we, ought, we need to walk in purity. We walk as children of God, walking in love, 1 and 2. We walk in purity, cleanliness, verses 3 through 9. This morning we're, gonna, we're going to focus on walking in love, this morning and in fact tonight. Because we actually have two commands here linked together. He says, and be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. That's command number one. Be a follower of God, whatever that means, I'll show you in a moment. Then he says in number two, command, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. So we have two commands that are really linked together with that word and. So this morning we want to look at the first command. What does it mean to be a follower of God as dear children? And tonight, the Lord willing, we'll look at verse 2, the second command. What does it mean to walk in love even as Jesus Christ loved us? So this morning, be there for followers of God as dear children. We should follow the examples that we have in the Bible of how God, what God is, what he's like and how he expects us to live, therefore. We've already mentioned verse 32. We should expect that we would be a follower of God in this, in, this, in this idea, this area of being kind one to another and tenderhearted and forgiving one another. That certainly is one way we should be a follower of God. But we should follow God in, in countless numbers of ways. I mean, if there ever is any place in the Bible, I mean, by the way, you know what the word follow means? The word follow, the word follow here in, uh, in the Hebrew, the New Testament language, is memeo, memeomai. From which we get our word mimic. It's the word mimikos. Mimic. When God says be ye followers. When the Bible says be ye therefore followers of God. It means be. A, it means basically mimic God. Or could I give you another word? Imitator. In fact if you have a Schofield Bible. There's a little letter there. And in the margin it says. In the center margin it says imitator. Be ye therefore imitators of God. And so the message this morning focuses on what does it mean to be an imitator of God and how then can we apply that to our lives? How do we see that in the scriptures? If there is one passage of scripture that probably gives us the best example of what it really means to be a follower of God, an imitator of God, to mimic God, I would have to choose 1 Peter 1. Would you go there with me just brief, briefly please, 1 Peter chapter 1. We are not only to mimic God, to imitate God in this area of being kind and loving and forgiving. 
We are to imitate God in every area of our life that is possible. One of those areas is the area of holiness. I'm not preaching on that this morning. I just want to see, show you how this is seen in the scriptures. When we read in our text, be ye therefore imitators of God as dear children. You say, what does it mean to imitate God? How can I imitate God? Okay, 1 Peter chapter 1, follow along as I read verses 13 through 16. And I think I've just chosen this one example. We should imitate him surely in holiness. Look what he says. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient, what's the next word? Children, see, our text, right? Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Okay, here's the word children here. As obedient children, not fasting yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Don't imitate what you used to be before you were saved. Don't start mimicking yourself of what you were like before you ever got born again. As obedient children, not fasting yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance when you were unsaved, but in contrast, look at 15. As he which hath called you is holy. Question out loud you can answer. Who in the world is he that hath called you? Who's that? That is God himself, Jehovah God. As Jehovah, as God himself hath called you is holy. Next phrase. So be ye holy. What does that mean? Be a follower of God. God is holy, you be a follower of God. God is a holy God, you, you mimic God. God is a holy God, you imitate God in holiness. I don't have time all during the message to stop and give you all kinds of examples. I hope you can figure this out, but I'll tell you one thing. If I'm good, I'll tell you when this hits me. This hits me big time whenever I'm watching TV or a movie. Be ye holy as I am holy, God says. I think if Christian people today understood how holy, what it means that God is absolutely flawless, he's perfect, he's righteous, there's no unholiness in him, that would eliminate a lot of stuff people watch on TV. That would eliminate a lot of stuff people look at on their phone, their computer. That would eliminate a lot of movies. Be ye holy, God says, as I am holy. I am to imitate God in holiness. Whoa, that, that'll, that'll change a life. Will it not? Amen? Can you say amen to that? That'll change a lot of things in living. He says, be ye holy. In verse uh, 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner, not some, not most, all, all manner of conversation. That's not our speech again. That's that same word back we've already looked at. That is all manner of conduct, of lifestyle, of behavior. In every single area of life, I am to illustrate, to follow, to imitate, to mimic a holy God who loved me and saved me. Look at the next verse, verse 16. Because it is written, be, this is God wrote this way back in Exodus Leviticus, be ye holy. What? Yes, you be holy for I am holy. That is not hard to understand. And we have that theme in all different places in the Bible. This is who God is. This is what God is like. And so if I now am in the family of God and he is my heavenly father, then I should imitate him in this. And here it happens to be holiness. That will change a lot of things in practical everyday living. Would you go back to our text, please? 
Ephesians chapter 5. Dr. Expositors said that following imitating God is, listen to what he says. Dr. Expositor says regarding following imitating God, he says, this is the loftiest and the most exalting endeavor that can possibly be set before man. It's proposed to us by Jesus Christ himself who says in Matthew 5, 48, be ye therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And perfect there refers to, it refers to full maturity and godliness. Full maturity and godliness. Jesus said, be ye perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And Dr. Expositor said, how could there be a higher, loftier goal, purpose, desire? For a Christian than that. You know what we call that? We call that being godly. Or could we say godlike? When you look at our text and it says, Be ye therefore followers of God, we could simplify that. Be godlike. Be godly. Be just like God. We're so quick to imitate others. Are we not? I, I grieve so many times when I see especially young people trying to imitate some some rock star, some movie star, some famous athlete. And when you, when you see how these people live, when you hear how they talk, when you know what they're all involved in, and I say, why in the world would he want to act like him? Why would he want to plaster his posters all over his bedroom wall? Does he really know what that guy is like? And then you see how he walks. Maybe sometimes the clothes he buys, his gestures, you think, hey, look, buddy, I don't know why you'd want to imitate God guy. Why would you want to mimic him? Some girl imitating some movie star or some, some special rock star, some teenage rock star. You know, she's got to have all of her stuff and got to dress like her and walk like her and look like her. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Do you have any clue? Why don't you, why don't you follow God? Why don't you want to imitate God? Why wouldn't you want to be like the, the, the men and women who are living for Jesus Christ? Put their posters on your wall. Don't sing that girl's music. You know it's filth. You know it's trash. Why would you want that? doesn't make any sense. It makes sense for an unsafe person. They don't know any better. Amen? It does not make sense for a Christian to want to mimic or imitate the wild people of the world that have no idea if Jesus Christ was ever born, let alone died for our sins and rose again. That's what this is all about. And by the way, this is so simple, but it's so practical. There's no way that you or I, there's no way we can imitate God if we don't know what God, can you finish it? What he's like. I mean, if you're going to imitate somebody, you got to know what they're like. If you're going to mimic somebody, you got to know what they're like. And that's where... Do I preach this every Sunday? That's where this book comes in. I mean, there's no shortcuts here. So it says, well, I just want to be godly. I want to be a godly person. You do? Yeah, I really do. Question, what's God like? I don't know. That's why I go fishing on Sunday morning, you know? Get out there in nature and see what God is like. You're not going to learn what God is like while you're fishing on Sunday morning when you should be in church. Amen? Does that make sense? We got to have the Bible. All I know about God, I know in the Bible. Let me change that. Most everything I know about God, I know in the Bible. Maybe it's all. <laughs> it's got to be all. Hey, listen. We can't know what, we can't imitate God if we don't even know what God's like. 
And we're never going to know what God is like without the word of God. And then you want to especially read the Gospels and study the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was God in human flesh. And listen, it begins to make sense. It's not that hard to figure out how do you live godly. Oh, there's another word. We use the word Christ-like. I want to be Christ-like, just like Christ. Well, who is he? What was he like? Read the Bible. It's all in the scriptures. And by the way, while we are imitating God, if we do, if we become a true follower of God, an imitator of God, one who mimics God in our lifestyle, we will be able to say what the Apostle Paul said in three places in Scripture. He says it twice in one book, and I want to show you those this morning. Would you go please to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Every Christian should want to be able to say to other people, what Paul says three times in his letters, twice in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look how he starts the chapter. In fact, why don't we read 1 Corinthians 11, 1 together out loud. Could we do that? Here we go. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Same word, followers. Mimeomai. To mimic, to imitate. Paul says, writing to the church at Corinth, listen, I exhort you, I challenge you, I command you, be ye a follower, an imitator. You can mimic me, just like, even as, he said, I also am a follower of Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful thing to say. We obviously don't have time to go into this, the context here. You know, a principle of Bible study, never isolate a verse by itself. Always study scripture in the light of its context. Look what comes after it. Look what comes before it. In this case, really, you got to look what comes before it. And the message is the whole message of 1 Corinthians 10. It's especially the last half of 1 Corinthians 10, beginning at verse 23. And it reaches its climax in verses 31, 32, and 33. And just to save time, I'll tell you what it's all about. Should a Christian in those days, should a Christian eat meat that was offered in sacrifice to idols? Somebody says, come on over Friday night. We're going to have a party at our house Friday night. I want to invite you to come. And you get on over there. And they got these big old steaks. And there's nothing you like better than steak. I was on a flight from Tampa to Phoenix, and the flight attendants came by, and she said, would you like a snack? I said, I would. She said, what would you like? I said, a steak. The guy next to me said, I say amen to that. He didn't say amen. He said, I agree with that. You know, I didn't get one, by the way. Got a little bitty bag of pretzels and a, a little bitty glass of Sprite. Steak. Okay, what about... Now, somebody says, hey, we got steaks for dinner. Yeah, I'm coming, and I'm coming if there's steaks. I'm, I'm not coming for sushi, Jim, but I'm coming for steak. Okay. And then you're, you're just, you're into it, and then he says, oh, by the way, uh, I want you to know this was offered in sacrificed idols. This came from the, the marketplace, but it was offered to Zeus last night. I said, oh, then what do you do? Meat that God has provided? Nothing wrong with it as far as the Old Testament law goes? Uh, if it is something wrong with it, then are we under the law? What are we going to do here? And 1 Corinthians 10 is all about. So what do you do as a Christian? 
do you just live by, I know what I think, I know what I believe, I don't care about anybody else, it seems like this could be an issue to him, I know she's listening to see what I'm going to say or do now, so I get to touch them, forget about her, forget about him, they are none of my business, I do what I do as unto God, and so be it. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes, here we go, and he finishes his state. God says, no, we don't do that. You better take a look around and see if what you are doing is in some way hindering others spiritually. Is it keeping somebody from being saved? Is it encouraging a Christian to do something that he should not be doing? There's a lot of things I don't do because even though they might be right in themselves, I know they can be wrong, and they can be wrong to some people in some situations. Say, no, I don't want her to do that because of me. Uh-uh, no way. I do not want to influence him to ever go there or do that. Say, well, Pastor Carsey's did it. I'm not doing it then. You say, well, could you do it? I could do it. You say, why don't you? Passages like this. What? 31, 32, 33, whether therefore ye eat, conclusion, whether therefore you eat or don't eat, whether you eat or drink or don't drink, whether there, I'm not talking about today alcohol, okay, but I want to include that, that's fine, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all, what, say it out loud, do all to the glory of God, look at the next verse, give none offense, none means no, offense literally means reason to stumble, to trip up. To cause someone to fall. Paul says, give none offense, neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. He includes everybody. Do not ever do anything that could lead another person to do wrong. Do not do that, Paul says, verse 31. Even so I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Be ye therefore followers of me, as I also am of Christ. You say, what is this all about? You know what Paul said? Life is not about me. Life is about others. And most importantly, life is about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this whole thing of Christian liberty. Well, I don't have a problem with this myself. Well, what about somebody who's watching you? What about somebody who's going to say, whoa, I didn't know that. Okay, here we go. No, Paul said, I'm not going to live like that. I will not live to please myself. I will live to please the one who died for me and rose again, the one who made me, the one who saved me, the one who lives within me, and the one whom one, whom one day I will give an account to. He's, he's really all I care about. So if it means I have to not eat the steak after all because I know what he's thinking and I know what's going to lead him, then he said, that's no problem. That's what this is all about. Give none offense. And he says in chapter 11, verse 1, you can follow me. You can imitate me in that. You can mimic me in that. And I put in my notes, question for you, for me. Do you have that attitude, that desire, that determination? What determination? What desire? What attitude? I will never, ever, by the grace of God, do anything, go anyplace, read anything, watch anything, drink anything, wear anything, whatever, however you want to take it. I will never do anything that would ever cause somebody else to trip and fall because I'm not really that important. They are more important. And Jesus Christ is all important. That's what this is all about. Paul says, don't just live for yourself, live for others. Most importantly, live for Jesus Christ. It's all about, it's, listen, it's all about, and that's why he says, be followers of me, look at this, be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. What's that all about? He said, you can mimic me. You can follow me in this attitude of not being offensive to others and living only for the glory of God. You can follow me because 
he said, even as I also am of Christ, I'm imitating Christ. I'm following Christ. What's that all about? Philippians chapter 2. What's Philippians chapter 2? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery equal with God. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the, finish it, the, he said, what's that all about? Jesus Christ had his eye on pleasing his heavenly father, doing his will, and he had his eye on dying so we could stay out of hell and go to heaven. You know what, we know what that's all about? That's about others. Jesus Christ did not live for himself. He lived to please his father. He said, I do always those things that please my father. And he said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came for his whole life and ministry and death and resurrection. His whole incarnation is about others. It's about us. And Paul says, when I look at other people and all these issues going on here, what am I supposed to do? He said, it's, it's no problem. I'm going to do everything I do for the glory of God. I'm going to do everything I do so that I will never be an offense to somebody else. And in this, by the way, he says, you can imitate me because I am only imitating Christ. Does that make sense? If it does, say amen. Would you go to chapter 4 because the second time he uses this phrase is in, he gives his phrases in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So the question is, how serious was Paul about this? How passionate was he about this? Was this a big deal to him? Chapter 4. Beginning of chapter 4. He's talking about here him, him, himself being a servant of Christ and, and how he looked at that. What was really important to him. He says, the most important thing is not what other people think about me. The most important thing is not what do I think about myself. Because some people questioned his apostleship. All right, it's just, you know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he's really who he thinks he is. And you know, we don't really have to, no. He said, okay, listen, you don't think I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ? Let, let me just say something in this, verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers, the servants of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I am a servant of the Lord. I'm just doing that which God has entrusted to me, and I want to be faithful. But he says in verse 3, it is with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Circle that. Or of man's judgment. Circle that. Yea, I judge not mine own self. He said, I'm not the final judge either. I really don't care what you think about me in a wrong sense. And I don't even really care what I think about myself. I don't judge myself. Verse 4. For I know nothing by myself. I don't know anything against myself and what I'm doing. Yet am I not hereby justified? This does not clear me. This does not justify me. I could be wrong. I could, I could have a blind spot. He said, I could miss something. But he that judges me is the Lord. The important thing is not what you think about my ministry and who I am, he said. The important thing is not how about myself? How do I think about myself? Am I doing okay? And no, he says, no. The one that judges me, the one that I care about is the Lord. That's what this whole beginning thing is all about. In the verses that follow, he gives a few things that he experienced. Verses 9 through 15, he says, I, I've, I've been in this, I've done this, this has happened to me. He gives some of his experiences that he's had as he's lived his lifestyle for Christ and as he's proclaimed Christ's words to others, as he shared the good news of salvation and, and preached. He said, these are some things that I've experienced. And he leads all up to verse 16. And look what he says. Wherefore, 
I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Was Paul passionate about saying to people, you can follow me, you can be an imitator of me because I'm following Christ. He says, beseech. This is a big deal with him. He says, I wherefore, because all this is true, I, and the word beseech means to, to beg. It's, it's a, it, the, word, the Greek word is two words together. It's to call and to call near, parakaleo. It's to call near. It's a tender term, to call near. He said, I implore you. Here's some, defi some definitions, some synonyms. I implore you, some meanings. I, I strongly encourage you or I urge you, really, I, I beg or I plead with you earnestly. This is a big deal for Paul. He says, wherefore, I beseech you, I beg of you, I plead with you earnestly. Be ye a follower and imitator of me. Whew. Can you say that to people? Could you say that to your wife? Men, could you say that to your husband, ladies? Parents, could you say that to your children? Can you say that to your work associates? Could you say that to your neighbors? Could you say that to the rest of your family? Can you say it to your children? I mean, can we say it to anybody? I beg of you, I plead with you earnest. I plead with you earnestly. Listen, be a follower of me. Imitate me. Follow me. That becomes pretty frightening and convicting, doesn't it? Because all of us who are sincere before God know that there, are, there is one or several areas in our lives where we really don't want others to do what we're doing if they find out. No, Paul says, I beg of you, I earnestly plead with you, be a follower of me. That's something to say that. There's another passage in Scripture that it comes to my mind when I read this, when I work, think on this theme, work on the message, because it has that same word. Go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, chapter 13, in that passage we just left, I don't want to go back, but in the next verse 17, you know what Paul says to these people? He says, you can be a follower of me, and then he says, I'm sending Timothy, he's like-minded, he's like-hearted. I'm sending him to you. And when he comes, he's going to remind you of what I preached. He's going to remind you of what I taught. And then he says, he's going to remind you of my ways, how I lived. Timothy's going to come and visit you. And when he comes, he's going to remind you the doctrine, what I preached with my mouth. He's going to remind you my lifestyle. He's going to remind you of how I lived my life. And oh, when you hear him, when, you re, when you're reminded of what I taught and how I lived, he said, then that should help you even more. I beseech you, you can mimic that. You can believe that. You can live like that. Well, that ties in with Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verse 7. Here's what God says. Remember them which have the rule over you and have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Let me read that again. Paul, uh, Paul, I believe the writer of Hebrews, some don't believe that, okay, whoever. The writer of Hebrews said, God says, remember them which have the rule over you. There's their spiritual leaders, your pastors, your teachers, who have spoken unto you the word of God. Now look at this phrase. Whose faith follow, mimic, imitate, 
considering the end of their, there's the word again, conversation, their lifestyle, their conduct. In this case, it's the terminus, how it ended with them. Imitate them. Follow them. Live like they lived. Believe what they believe. Now, most Bible teachers believe that this verse is not so much about the leaders they had right then, but it's those who had been their preachers, their Bible teachers, who had lived out their lives and gone to be with the Lord. And they base that on that last phrase, considering the end of their conversation, how it ended with them, how it turned out with them. And they believe that on the basis of that phrase, this applies mostly to their leaders, spiritual leaders, who had already... Not everybody believes that, but most Bible teachers who go word by word, they would believe that. Many of these men, though, also believe that it would include, obviously, all of your spiritual leaders, shall we say, in your local church. We know that that is, that that is the meaning in verse, same chapter. Look at 17. 17 is kind of a parallel verse. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, that is unprofitable for you. Folks, that is challenging because verses 7 and 17 have to do with pastors in local churches who are teaching and preaching the word of God and as a pastor are not just preachers and teachers, but both verses have that word rule. They rule over you. Some people say, well, I just don't like the pastor to be in charge of things. Part of being a pastor is God expects you to be in charge. I mean, that's true. That, you see that in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If a man can't take care of his own family, he can't take care of the house of God. I mean, you, 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 he's the in-control leader. By the way, sometimes we don't want to be that, but God says we have to be. Somebody has to be the manager. Somebody has to be the one in charge. God says that's the pastor. That's the preacher, the teacher. Say, well, I just want my pastor to preach, but don't, don't be in charge of anything. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Remember them which have the rule, both verses. So here's an important question. It's hard to ask, but I've got to ask it. If I weren't a pastor, I'm just preaching this, okay? Does what your pastor believes affect you in any way? Does, does how your pastor lived, does that affect you in any way? Would you be willing to change anything you believed or anything you practiced? By the example of your pastor, that puts a huge, huge place of responsibility in this guy right here. If we could have everybody get together and say question and answer time, and I have a microphone and I say, ask me any question you want to ask me about anything I believe. I'll tell you what I believe and I'll give you a Bible verse for what I believe. When you're all done with what I believe, you can ask me any question you want to ask me about this thing called standards, lifestyle, do's and don'ts. Ask me any question you want to ask. I will be glad to tell you what I do, how I act, how I behave, how I respond to that, what's my actions based on the word of God. Would anything I said make any difference to you? Is that a fair question? In the light of these two verses, it really is. Because God says we're supposed to follow, to imitate, to, to mimic the lives of the men of God. You say, well, I had a pastor that wasn't perfect. Well, you, you, have to, you, have to, you, you can deal with that however you want to. 
God says, pastors, we have to give an account. Look at 17, obey them that have rule over you. That's what God says to people. And submit yourselves. That's hard for people sometimes. Why? For they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy, not with grief. That's improper for you. You know, I have to give an account for how you turn out. That's a serious thought. And, you know, at the, I didn't get to go to the conference, you know, because I was sick, but I watched most of the general sessions. Adam Morgan at that worship and music conference that Jason and Luke went to, Adam Morgan brought a message on what millennials believe about this conserving, conservative worship and conservative music and all the rest of this stuff. So what's a millennial? I, I Googled my phone to make sure I had it right, okay? A millennial is someone who was born between 1981 and 1996. He would be between the ages of 26 and 41 today. And Brother Morgan showed how, for the most part, millennials, one of the things that really characterizes millennials is they, they really don't think they should learn anything from older people. If you're older than they are, especially when you come to a certain age, then that's, that's, that's past. That's now antique. That's behind us. We've learned a lot since those days. <laughs> and things have really changed. And we live in a different world now. I would agree with that. Things have really changed. It's a different culture. It's a new age for sure. So they say we got to have some fresh ideas. We got to have some youthful thoughts here. Got to have some new plans. Some new interpret. Everybody's reinterpreting all the scriptures now. And the Bible doesn't change when you get to be a certain age, right? The Bible doesn't change after so many years go by. Well, it used to mean that back then. Now, if you follow your pastor now who's like 65 years old, I'm past that. He's probably going to lead you wrong because he doesn't understand all the new truth we have now. We're looking for fresh truth, new ideas. They want to come up with their own ideas of things. That's very typical of many millennials. And that doesn't fit too well in these two verses. Then you've got the Gen X and the Gen Z. That's another story. God simply says, remember them which have the rule over you, have spoken unto you the word of God, however old they are whose faith follow, especially considering the end of their conversation. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give an account. Now go back to our text and we're finished. Would you go back to Ephesians? Because we got that last little phrase that we need to make a couple comments on before we go. Ephesians chapter 5. And look at that last phrase. Be ye Therefore, followers of God. And that's most important. As important as it is to read and be an imitator of what Paul, you know, and, or, or your pastor, whoever else, that's not the most important issue. That's a side thing. And you can do the same thing, as I mentioned. You can say to your family or to your wife or husband or others, you can trust me, you can follow me because I'm following Christ and here's the verses I'm going by. But the most important thing is be imitators of God. God. And look at this, as dear children. That points to the manner, the word as here, points to the manner and the character of the imitation. It gives us a reason for it. We're children of God. <laughs> if we're saved, God is our heavenly Father. We are in the family of God. We now have the nature of God. <laughs> first, what, first or second Peter, chapter one, verse, I think, four. We are made partakers of the divine nature. 
John 1, 11 and 12, regarding Jesus Christ, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the, together, the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, 1 John 3, 1, 2 and 3. We're, we're Christians. We're saved. We've been born again. We are in the family of God. God is our heavenly father. Listen, you know this, folks. Children tend to resemble their parents, right? Their biological parents. And sometimes they imitate them. They mimic them. My father passed away a few years ago, and his very best friend just died a couple weeks ago, and they had the funeral yesterday. And one of my brothers sent me a text and put an attachment, and there was my four brothers who could go. I didn't go. My brother Bob didn't go. There were four brothers were there, and there were, And he sent me this text, and I, I tell you, I looked at that thing, and it just reminded me of my love for my brothers. You know, we, we look a little different, but you could see, hey, you could see, man, there are, we're, all sons of, we're all sons of Harold Carsey's. We all came out of Nellie Carsey's womb. We have some resemblances there, and if my sisters could be the ones with the Lord, now she couldn't go, of course. My other sister couldn't go. They look like Carsey's too. We just kind of look like dad and mom. We resemble them. In some ways, I try to mimic them. Other ways, I don't want to. You know what I'm saying? You're there. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, we had a boy in our toddler nursery many, many years ago. He's not in our church now. Relax. Many, many, many years ago, you've heard me mention this before, a little boy in our toddler nursery, we had this little truck in there, a little, like a little car, a little bus thing, and it was, it was small. They could sit on, the little toddlers, they could sit on this thing, and they could drive it, you know, in the nursery. And one Sunday morning, some little boy in there sat on this little car, and he started driving through the toddler nursery, and all of a sudden, he went like this. He started beating the thing, saying, he's, he's honking the horn, okay, he says, Get that, get that hunk of junk going or get it off the road. Those nursery workers, they about lost it. Get going or get that hunk of junk off the road. I think he's, get going or get that piece of junk off the road. And it's like, where did that three-year-old ever learn that? You say, I think he got it from his mom. I doubt it. He must have been used to seeing his dad, hearing his dad while he's driving. And he's in the nursery, man. He's just like, just, you know, the old phrase, like father, like son. And these, these their workers go, oh, man, what do we mean? Should we tell the pastor that? Yeah, they told me, okay. And they, they, they were laughing as they told me. Pastor, you should have been or should have had a video of that thing. Move it or get that piece of junk off the road, you know, okay. Like father, like son. And it, well, the message is this, folks. When you read this, be ye followers of me, of God, as dear children. That is motivation. God is my father. He got me born again. I am his child, and I want to resemble my heavenly father. I want to mimic my heavenly father. God doesn't tell people to get their junk off the road and scream at him. He has no bad traits to imitate. We should want to be like him. We should desire to resemble him. That those who know us might say, you know what? He's a godly man. That lady, she is, I think she is so Christ-like. That's another way of saying she's following, she's mimicking, she's imitating Christ. Would you bow your heads, please? Could we get just a little honest today for our invitation? Each individual, just personally, not thinking about anybody else, just personally thinking about you. I think about me. And I ask myself the question, all right, Larry, is there some area or some areas in my life 
that I know I am not imitating my God very well. And I hope others don't imitate me in that. Would you ask yourself that? Is there some area or some areas of my life that as far as I know, God knows my heart. I could say to others, you can be like me in that. Because I got that from God, from Christ, from the Bible. So you can follow me like I'm following him. What humbly, what might those areas be? What is it today you say, oh man, to be quite honest, and that's what you better be. I really can't say that to anybody about this because that's, that's not good. Be ye followers of God as dear children. That is challenging and convicting. Let's stand together, please.